Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. When it comes to understanding Bible prophecy, there are differing opinions among people who are convinced of the inspiration and the authority of the Bible. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we will understand, interpret, or agree on these prophecies. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Daniel chapter 7. Now, here's Pastor Brian. You know, I was telling my wife that reading over the seventh chapter of Daniel a few few times in the past few days and reading over it a few times today, it just, I, I just got so excited. It's like, man, this is the future. This is where it will all end up. And you know, just, just that reality that God is at work in history and that God is going to bring history to a conclusion and that Jesus, who came and died and rose again and ascended, is going to come back. He's going to establish the kingdom of God. I mean, you know, when you think about that, it's such exciting stuff. And it's so hopeful because no matter what, else happens between now and then, we know where it's all going to end. And so this seventh chapter, this transitions us from where we've been in Daniel, which has basically been a historical narrative of Daniel's experience in the courts of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius. And so now we're moving into the, the prophetic aspect of the book. Prophetic in the sense of looking to the future. Remember Jesus in Matthew 24, he referred to Daniel as Daniel the prophet. So up until this point, there hasn't been really any a prophetic utterance from Daniel himself, with the exception of the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in the second chapter. And, and though there obviously was a prophetic element to that that is parallel to what we're going to look at in chapter seven, that was Nebuchadnezzar's dream that God gave to him. But this now is a prophetic word that is given to Daniel. Now, just a couple of things before we jump in. So this type of literature, biblical literature, is, has been called apocalyptic literature. And so, you know, in the scholarly world, in the academic world, they, they look at the Bible from a literary standpoint sometimes. And so they will divide the biblical text up into various genres. And, you know, there's the historical narrative and there's the poetic and there's the didactic, which is the, the teaching element and so forth. And, and so one of those categories is apocalyptic. 
And let me just read you a quote regarding that. It says, apocalyptic literature is a genre or type of Jewish literature that became popular during the intertestamental period and extended into the New Testament era. The writers of apocalyptic literature sought to disclose heavenly secrets concerning how the world would end and how the kingdom of God would suddenly appear to destroy the kingdom of evil. Apocalyptic writers made extensive use of visions, dreams, and symbols as instruments of revealing what was hidden. Now, this is a quote from a, a theological dictionary, but you know, it, notice how it's interesting because it says that this, this genre arose during the intertestamental period. Well, Daniel is before the intertestamental period. But sure, during that 400 years, there, there was a lot of this kind of literature that came up within the Jewish world. And much of it, if not all of it, had you know, some biblical overtones to it, but it was more just the imagination or the fiction of the writer. So Daniel is in a completely different category. Daniel is speaking prophetically. Now, here's something that's interesting to me because today many, many scholars will, they will immediately refer to this and the book of Revelation, different things as apocalyptic literature. And, and oftentimes they will give the impression that apocalyptic literature is so complex, it's so difficult to interpret we can never really land on an absolute understanding of what is being declared in the apocalyptic literature. But the irony in that mentality is that the very word apocalyptic means to reveal, to unveil. That's why the book of Revelation in, say, the Catholic version of the Bible is called the Apocalypse. Apocalypse is a transliteration of this apocalyptus, which means revealing. And so we have it in our Bibles, unless you have a Catholic Bible, you have the final book of your Bible is Revelation, which means that it reveals something to us. It doesn't hide anything from us. It, it, yes, it does communicate oftentimes in symbolic language. It often communicates in interpretation of dreams and it is often brought forth by angelic beings and so forth. But the intention of these portions of Scripture is to reveal something to us, not to hide something from us. So that's just something I think that that we should note. Now, when it comes to understanding Bible prophecy, there are differing opinions among people who are convinced of the inspiration and the authority of the Bible. So inspiration and authority of the Bible, that's, that's like essential stuff. You know, that, that's bedrock stuff. That's where every Christian needs to land. We need to land on belief in the inspiration and authority of Scripture. 
But that doesn't necessarily mean that we will understand, interpret, or agree on these prophecies. And and I'm saying that because we want to understand that there are diverse opinions when it comes to what these prophecies are actually saying. But those diverse opinions are held by people who are committed to the inspiration and authority of Scripture. So that... It's important to know that for a practical reason, because a lot of times if somebody doesn't see things exactly the way we do or there's a disagreement over how to interpret or understand, you know, sometimes we automatically think, well, they must not be a serious Christian. They must not be a really devout Christian. They must not be sold out to Jesus like I am. They might very well be but they just have a different lens through which they're interpreting scripture. So that is important. Now, uh, some take the view that because a lot of times uh, disagreement and controversy will surround the study of prophecy, some take the view that we should not concern ourselves with the details of such prophecies, but rather rest content with general principles. After all, they point out, and not without justification, the interpretation of the details of prophecy is fraught with difficulty and often leads to unseemly dogmatism and unchristian squabbling. (laughs) This is true. I remember, how many of you remember the name Walter Martin? Some of you guys remember the name Walter Martin? Uh, Well, Walter Walter Martin was the original Bible answer man. And he was, um, you know, very committed Christian. He was very committed to biblical inspiration and authority. Um, But when it came to biblical prophecy, he did not believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. He believed in a post-tribulational rapture. And so I remember as a young Christian, Walter Martin was kind of in his heyday back in, in those times. And, but I remember listening to a message that he gave on Matthew 24. And it was basically his explanation of why he was post-trib rather than pre-trib. And I'll never forget listening to this message and thinking, man, this is a great message. I don't agree with the conclusion, but it still is a good, well-thought-out. He was a very intelligent guy. You know, very well-thought-out. But then I remember at a certain point, he made a plea to the audience, please don't hate me for my position. Please don't reject me because I'm holding to this view. That's how intense things would get back in those times when there was disagreement over these end times kinds of things. And, and it, it went both ways. I mean, the, you know, the, the people who held uh, Dr. Martin's view were oftentimes highly critical and suspicious of those who held the other view. So it's kind of the nature of this. But I think that it doesn't have to be that way. I know it doesn't have to be that way because I have the experience of knowing and having wonderful fellowship with and deeply loving people that 
whole different views of eschatology. So eschatology is the study of the time of the end. That's what that word means. Um, And so I think we need to approach these things maturely. We can agree to disagree agreeably. We can, I think, dive into and seek to understand biblical prophecy without it causing us to divide with other Christians who don't see it our way. I think that's the way God would have it. I think that that would be the mature approach to these things. So so I have a, a particular understanding of end times prophecy. And my understanding of it has not really changed much over 40 years. It's been nuanced a little bit here and there. Some people think I don't believe in prophecy. I don't believe in uh, the rapture and things like that. And they, they mostly think that because I, I don't talk about it that much. And I'm happy to talk about it when I come to it in the scripture, but I don't feel like I need to make a beeline for it every time I open my Bible. So it's a matter of emphasis. So some people are, that's their emphasis. You're going to hear every single time the Bible is open, you're going to hear something about the rapture. And that's just, that's the emphasis they have. That's fine. That's, that's their business. They can do that if they want. That's not my emphasis. So I won't talk about it that frequently, but my view and position would oftentimes be very similar to those who are talking about it every Sunday, Um, but I'm just not doing that. So, but I am doing it because this is where we are. This is where we are in the study. So this seventh chapter is amazing. It's astounding and it's long and I think it'll be a little bit challenging just to, you know, kind of break it up here. And so just follow me and we'll navigate it together. And I'm sure we'll end in a good place. So this took place in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So we're going back now. Daniel is taking us back in time and telling us about something that happened Now, remember, Belshazzar's been, you know, his kingdom was overthrown. He was executed. Medes and the Persians took over the empire. Daniel's there serving in that empire. But now he's going to look back and he's going to tell us about this vision that he had. So Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, And it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being. And the mind or the heart of a human was given to it. 
And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side of its on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, Get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings. Like those of a bird, this beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. And it had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left It was different from all the former beasts, and it had 10 horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And I looked, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beast had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is the one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, And the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. I love how many times the Bible interprets itself. And right here, it just did it. Daniel is looking at this. What does this mean? These are four great kingdoms that will rise out of the earth. Now, like I said, this vision of Daniel is a parallel to the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. But remember the difference. Nebuchadnezzar, he... In his dream, he saw an image, this, this, this magnificent image 
that was made of gold and silver and bronze and iron and clay. And it was this colossal image. It, it, was, it was glorious. But remember, it was struck in its feet by a stone that was not cut with human hands. And that image, it all disintegrated. And then it was blown away like the chaff. And the rock that struck it became a mountain that filled the whole earth. And Nebuchadnezzar had no idea what that meant, but Daniel did. And so Daniel told him, O king, you're the head of gold. And God has given you a kingdom, but your kingdom will pass and it will be replaced by the arms and the chest of silver. And then that kingdom will pass and it will be, it will be replaced by the, the belly and the thighs of, of bronze. And then that kingdom will pass and it will be replaced by the legs of iron and the feet and the toes of iron and clay. And then the God of heaven will set up a kingdom and that's the rock that smote the image. But here's the point. Nebuchadnezzar's dream views the empires of the world. And, and these are empires of the world as they relate primarily to Israel. So there were other kingdoms in the world at the time that were so far in the distance, even though in some ways God said Nebuchadnezzar has authority over them all. He didn't, I don't think he communicated with the Chinese, even though they had a kingdom at the time, more than, more than likely. Um, but These kingdoms are are specifically in relation to God's holy people. But the image that Nebuchadnezzar sees is the way that we would tend to view the kingdoms of the world as these magnificent, glorious monuments to the greatness of, of men. And that's how they appear to many. But Daniel's vision is of wild beasts. And so from God's perspective, these empires are like ferocious beasts that devour humanity. And of course, history would tell us that God's perspective is really the accurate perspective because you think of empires and you think of all the glory of empires and still to this very day, you can go to different places in the world and you can still see the remnant of certain empires and you can get a sense of the magnificence of what they might've been at their time. But if you lived under the authority of that empire, you were probably a severely oppressed human. You probably were a slave to the empire. That's just the way empires go. For the month of January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. 
Choices that we make have lasting effects, and we all live with regrets. But are you paralyzed by your past? Do you live in the dark shrouds of if-onlys? Does your past influence your present more than God's past, present, and future grace? Have you received and are living out the forgiveness that is yours because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Well, in his book, 40 Days of Grace, Paul David Tripp will take you deep into the grace of God. He will help you understand God's grace that exposes what you want to hide so he can forgive you and deliver you. You will get to know God's grace that welcomes you to live with a hope in the present because it will free you to leave your past behind. God's grace is essential for the Christian life. It is something you will never deserve, but can always expect. If you need to experience the grace of God, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Daniel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.